Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. So I want to start out this morning by introducing you to a man by the name of David Rose. Back in 2019, Mr. Rose, who works at a garbage dump in the UK, he, he brought a top hat, a cigar case, and some letters to the Antiques Roadshow. And after some investigation, it was determined that the top hat and the cigar case actually belonged to Winston Churchill, and the letters belonged to his personal cook, and she had been writing letters to her son detailing the daily business of Winston Churchill. And so this collection that that Mr. Rose simply rescued from the dump was valued at $13,000. So I want you to think about this for a moment because someone had this great treasure in their care and yet they just tossed it out. They they viewed it as garbage. But Mr. Rose, he didn't see it as trash. He saw it as the treasure that it was. So I want to pause this morning and I want to ask, how do we view the things that God has entrusted into our care? How do we view the things that God has entrusted into our care? As we think about our family and our finances, as a church, as we think about our mission and our ministries, how do we view the things that God has entrusted into our care? Because how we view the things that God has entrusted into our care will determine how we handle the things that God has entrusted into our care. And may it be that that we don't see the things that God has entrusted into our care here at First Baptist Church Stockdale as trash, but may we see it as the treasure that it is. So we're in a series right now titled Faithful. And along with this series, I've offered a vision that I want us to grab hold of this year in 2023, that we would be a faithful people in all things at all times until it's all over. So let me bring you back to to this parable that, that this vision is rooted in. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this parable of, of a master that entrusts talents or valuable units of money into his three servants' care. Listen, he didn't entrust trash into their care. He entrusted great treasure into their care. And so to the two servants that did something with the treasure that was entrusted into their care, the word that the master used of them was the word faithful. But to the one servant that did nothing with what was entrusted into his care, the word that the master used of him was the word lazy. So let me ask this question again. How do we view the things that God has entrusted into our care? Do we view it as trash to be lazy with, or do we view it as a great treasure to be faithful with? And so as we consider being faithful with the things that God has entrusted into our care, this year we're looking at what God has already entrusted into our care. And so for us as a church, that really begins with our mission. So if you're new with us, we have a simple mission here at First Baptist Church Stockdale to love, to grow, 
to serve, and to go. And so each week we're looking at a different facet of this mission. Three weeks ago we looked at our call to love. Two weeks ago we looked at our call to grow. If you were here last week, we looked at our call to serve. And today we're going to look at our call to go. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 29 through 41. Acts chapter 2, 29 through 41. Now, as you're turning there, let me set this up for you. At the start of Acts chapter 2, what we see happen is the day of Pentecost. So what Scripture tells us is that Jews from all of the nations under heaven are gathered in one place together. And then, just as Jesus had promised, the, the, the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the disciples. And so... As the Holy Spirit is poured out onto the disciples, they begin to speak through the power of the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in all of these languages that are represented here. And as they speak in all of these different foreign languages, they're not just speaking anything. What they're doing is they are proclaiming the gospel. They're preaching the gospel, And so people of every nation who had not yet heard the gospel, here they are all of a sudden hearing the gospel for the first time, and they're hearing it in their own language. Now, I want you to understand the significance of what happened here on the day of Pentecost. If we look back to the book of Genesis, we see that initially mankind was all united in one language, and As they're united in one language, what happens is mankind kind of becomes puffed up and arrogant. And in their arrogance, they wanted to do something so great that they could point to how great they are. They wanted to build a tower, a tower so high that it would be at the same level of God. So they could point to themselves and say, look how great we are. Look how awesome we are. They wanted to be be able to proclaim the greatness of mankind. And so what we see happen in Genesis chapter 11 is God confused the language of mankind. No longer was everybody able to speak the same language, but now everybody has these different languages. They're unable to understand each other, and they're dispersed to other nations. But then, here on the day of Pentecost, when God pours out His Spirit, all of a sudden... People who had been unable to speak the language of another person, now all of a sudden they are speaking a new language, speaking a foreign language. And it's a a foreign language of those that are there. And as as they speak this foreign language, what they're doing is they're not proclaiming the greatness of mankind. What they're doing is they're proclaiming the greatness of their God. So let me pause right here and say this. When it comes to this gift that God has given us to speak, we are to use our tongues not to point to our own greatness, but to point to the greatness of our God. Let me say that again. We are to use our tongues not to point to our own greatness, but to point to the greatness of our God. And so I would encourage you as we think about the things that God has entrusted into our care Let's include our tongues in that category. Let's view our tongues as as a great treasure that God has entrusted into our care. I think many times what happens is 
is we don't view our tongues as something that God has entrusted into our care. And so uh, we become lazy with our tongues. We become careless with our tongues. And so we need to be reminded that we are to use our tongues not to point to our own greatness, but to point to the greatness of our God. And that's what we see happening here in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has fallen, and the disciples are being empowered to speak, not just in their own language, but in all these languages that are represented there. And they are proclaiming not their own greatness, but they are proclaiming the greatness of their God. And specifically, they're preaching, they're proclaiming the gospel. And so then in verse 14, what we see happen is the apostle Peter, he stands up and he begins to speak louder than everybody else, and he begins to preach a sermon. And so in our passage that we're going to read today, we're going to catch the tail end of his sermon, and then we're going to see the people's response to his message. So let's read this, Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 41. Peter said, Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are a witness. All, we are all witness of this. Therefore, since he had has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to begin by highlighting what we see there in verse 29. In verse 29, uh, Peter references King David. And he says, and he does so because in in verses fourteen through twenty eight, as Peter is preaching, he is preaching the gospel by using Old Testament passages. First, he he points to Joel chapter two, and he uses a a prophetic message from Joel to point to the Messiah. Then he moved to to the book of Psalms, and he preaches from Psalms chapter sixteen. And Psalms chapter 16 is a psalm written by David. Now, David's words are certainly words that devout Jews would have been familiar with. They're words that, that they would probably have heard read aloud in the temple. They're, they're words that maybe they would themselves have even memorized. And so David, a patriarch of their faith, 
was highly esteemed among them. And yet Peter gives them this important reminder that David was both dead and buried and his tomb is with them to this day. Now, why did it matter that David was dead and buried? Because Jesus was not. Their, their patriarch, the one that they held in high esteem, the, the, this, this David that they, they had read his words for years, was dead and buried. But Jesus was not. You know, David's words, what Peter is saying is David was pointing to someone greater than himself. David was pointing to one that would come, that, that would take a seat through his lineage, through David's lineage, one that would come that would sit on the throne, but not just a, an earthly throne, one that would come that would sit on an eternal throne, a throne that would not have an end. And so as Peter points to David's words, he's reminding the Jews of what had just happened with Jesus, that Jesus died and that he rose again. And he's saying, he's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that David, whose words we hold in high esteem, he's the one that David was talking about. And yet David, he's not here with us. David is dead and buried. But Jesus is not because you buried Jesus and he came out of the tomb alive and well. And so we have this reminder that David was dead, but Jesus was not. And so as Peter preaches, he uses Old Testament passages to point them to Jesus. I want you to understand that this really is the purpose of Scripture. From cover to cover, this is the purpose of Scripture. Whether we are talking about Old Testament passages or New Testament passages, the purpose of Scripture is to point us to Jesus. The purpose of Scripture is to point us to Jesus. Now, certainly, we can look to Scripture and we can find encouraging words. We can find words of comfort in Scripture. But the point of Scripture from cover to cover is not to simply offer us words of encouragement or words of comfort. The purpose of Scripture from cover to cover is to point us to Jesus. And I would take that a step further to say that my primary purpose as your pastor is not simply to offer you words of encouragement or words of comfort. My purpose as your pastor is not simply to give you a motivational message for you to leave with on Sunday mornings. If that's all I've done on a Sunday morning, then I have failed as your pastor and I have not been faithful with my calling. Because my primary purpose as your pastor is to take you to Scripture and appoint you to Jesus. Now let me take that even further and say this. Your primary calling as a Christ follower is to point others to Jesus. Your primary calling as a Christ follower is to point others to Jesus. Now certainly our call as a church, we say it is to love, to grow, to serve, to go. Right? Well, I don't want to minimize our call to love, to grow, and to serve. But... but the primary calling that we have is this call to go. As we think about Jesus' final command before he ascended to heaven in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our primary calling as Christ followers is to go 
and to point others to Jesus. And so if we are going to be faithful to go, then there are three things that I want to, to, to discuss with you this morning that we see in this passage that I believe that we are called to do as we go. So first, as we go, we must proclaim the gospel. As we go, we must proclaim the gospel. Let's read verse 37 again. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? As we go, we must proclaim the gospel. Now understand, it is good to live lives that are a reflection of the good news that we have received. It's good when others are able to recognize the, the difference in our lives because of the gospel that we have received. It means that we really have received the gospel. It means that transformation is taking place in our lives and, and people are taking note of it. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that the gospel is something that must be heard. When they heard this, the gospel is something that must be proclaimed. Can I just be honest? I'm going to, even if you say no, right? As I think about how many times people have asked me why I live my life differently than the world, I can probably count on one hand how many times that has happened to me in my life. But I can't count on even both hands the, the number of people that have responded to the gospel, that have come to salvation because I have been obedient to open my mouth and to verbally share the gospel with them. The gospel is something that must be heard. And so if the gospel is something that must be heard, then the gospel is something that we must be faithful to go and to proclaim. So let me pause right here and say this. People need to hear the gospel so they can respond to the gospel Let's be reminded of that. People need to hear the gospel so that they can respond to the gospel. They may see that, that you're a good person, right? But what makes you different than any other good person in this world? People need to hear the gospel so that they can respond to the gospel. And so because people need to hear the gospel so that they can respond to the gospel, and because I don't know everybody's eternal response to the gospel this morning, I want to make sure that I am faithful to open my mouth and to verbally share the gospel with you this morning. So scripture tells us that we have all sinned, every single one of us, from Adam and Eve until today, we have all sinned. And sin is simple, it's disobedience to God. And God is so holy, so perfect, and our sin, no matter how small we might view it, our sin is so great that it separates us from a holy God. God is also a just God, and because he is a just God, our sin requires payment. Our sin requires a consequence. Scripture tells us, for the wages of sin is death. Death is what is owed for our sin. But you know, God is not only a a, a, a holy God, and God is not only a just God, He is also a loving God. And in His great love for us, He sent Jesus Christ, His Son, into this world to die on the cross for you and for me. And Scripture tells us three days later, He rose again. The disciples, they were witnesses of this. This is what Peter was saying here. We've, we've witnessed that Jesus rose again. 
Jesus rose again. And if we believe in our heart that, that Jesus is Lord, if we, confess, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our heart that he rose again, then scripture tells us that we will be saved. I want you to know that is the gospel. That is the good news. And my prayer today is that if you have never responded to the gospel, my prayer is that the gospel would pierce you to the heart so that it would bring you to that point of recognition that you need a savior so that you will desire, just as the people desired in this passage, to say, what should we do? That's exactly what happened in our passage. As, as these people heard the gospel, as these devout Jews heard the gospel preached by Peter, they were pierced to the heart, meaning that, that Peter's sermon didn't just deal with surface-level things. It dealt with the heart of the matter. They were sinners, and they needed a Savior. And as they were pierced to the heart, they asked that question, Brothers, what should we do? How do we respond? We don't want to wait. Church, I want you to know, if we're going to see our friends, if we're going to see our family members, if we're going to see our neighbors, if we're going to see our coworkers, if we're going to see our community coming to a point that they are ready to come to Jesus for salvation then we must be faithful to go. And as we go, we must proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and that he rose again. We must be faithful to go. So as we go, we must proclaim the gospel. Second, as we go, we must preach repentance. Let's read verse 38 again. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We must preach repentance. Now, I want you to understand, repentance is not a work that produces salvation. Repentance is the literal act of coming to Jesus. If we think about it as we are walking in the direction of our sin, which, by the way, Jesus is never in the direction of your sin. Right? So if we were walking in the direction of our sin and we are going to, to come to Jesus, the only thing we can do is to turn away from our sin. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is turning. And so as we turn to Jesus, we are repenting. We are literally turning away from our sin. And so as Peter uses that word repent here, he's not saying stop sinning so that you can be saved. He is saying Turn to Jesus and you will be saved. Turn to Jesus and you will be saved. I want you to understand we can only experience salvation by turning to Jesus. We can only experience salvation by turning to Jesus. So if you were here last week, uh, you, you heard me talk about Billy Graham's final answer in his uh, syndicated column, my answer. And last week I talked about how he said he wanted to, to be remembered as someone who was faithful. But I want to read uh, just a, a little bit more of that column today. He said, by the time you read this answer, I will be in heaven. Not because I preached to large crowds or because I tried to live a good life. I'll be in heaven for one reason. Many years ago, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died and rose again. 
And just as this is true for, for Billy Graham, this is true for you and for me as well. We can only experience salvation by turning to Jesus. It's not by turning to religion. It's not by turning to rituals. It's not by trying to be a good enough person or by doing enough works. We can only receive salvation by turning to Jesus and by turning to Jesus Christ alone. Now, As we think about this call for us to be faithful to go, we're reminded that people need to hear the message of repentance. Because here's the deal. People are looking. They're looking for hope. They're looking for satisfaction. People are looking for fulfillment. They're looking for identity. At the end of the day, what they're really looking for is salvation. The problem is they're looking in all the wrong places. People are turning to alcohol to forget their problems. They're turning to drugs to numb their reality. They're turning to their sexuality to find their identity. And they're turning to their bank accounts to find their value. People are looking, they're just looking in all the wrong places. But can I just tell you, salvation is not found in a place, it's found in a person. Salvation is not found in a place, it's found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that people are looking for, whether they realize it or not. And when they find Jesus, they find their identity, When they find Jesus, they find their value. When they find Jesus, they find a better reality. When they find Jesus, they find the hope that they need to face tomorrow. Jesus is the one they're looking for. They're just looking in all the wrong places. Now, if you've turned to Jesus today, then you have received that salvation that you so desperately need But there are many more out there that still need to come to salvation. There are many more out there that still need to know that they don't find, they're not going to find what they're looking for in all the wrong places. They're only going to find what they're looking for by turning to Jesus. Salvation isn't found in a place, it's found in a person. And repentance, turning from our sins, is how we turn to Jesus. So as we go, we must proclaim the gospel and we must preach repentance. Finally, this morning, as we go, we must practice baptism. Let's read verse 41 again. It says, so those who accepted this message were baptized and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. As we go, we must practice baptism. Now, while baptism is not the means of our salvation, meaning Christ saves us upon our confession of him as Lord, upon our belief that he rose again from the dead, that's when Christ saves us. But it's clear that the early church did not separate taking this step of baptism. They did not separate it with their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They saw this as something that was intertwined with their confession of faith, meaning there was an expectation that if you were going to come to Jesus for salvation, 
that you were going to take this next step to publicly declare Jesus as Lord through baptism. I want you to understand this step of baptism is vital to our testimony. This step of baptism is vital to our testimony, and maybe you need to be reminded of that today. You see, baptism is a beautiful picture for us because as we are immersed in the water, which by the way, I don't hold people down this long, but as we are immersed in the water, we are declaring that, that, that our old selves, our sinful selves have been crucified and buried with Christ And as we come up out of the water, we are declaring that that we have, through Christ's resurrection, we have received a new life, that we identify with the resurrected Lord. Our, Our baptism is a beautiful picture, and it is vital to our testimony. And so so Peter says, repent and be baptized. And he says this. As he says this, he's saying, you need to turn from your sins, turn to Jesus so that you can come to salvation and then immediately take that step to declare Jesus as your Lord through baptism. You know, in a way, what Peter is saying is you can't become a secret Christian. You can't become a secret Christian because following Jesus is not something that we do behind closed doors. Following Jesus is something that we do publicly. We're called to do it publicly. We're called to do it every single day. And the first public step that we are called to take is this step of baptism. And so as people were convicted by the gospel, as they were pierced to the heart, and as they accepted this message that Peter preached, people began to repent of their sins coming to salvation, and then they immediately took this next step of baptism. And what we see is that 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Now, Scripture doesn't explicitly say this outright, but what I believe we see happening is this chain reaction here uh, of people hearing the gospel and turning from their sins, coming to Jesus for salvation, and immediately and publicly declaring Jesus Christ as Lord through baptism. And so what, what people began to see happen was their neighbors or their co-workers or, or their family or their friends, the, these people that were in their lives, they were seeing them all of a sudden declaring Christ as Lord and taking that step of baptism, and they were saying, me too. I want that too. I want Jesus too. And so we see more and more and more and more people get saved. More people taking that step to to give their lives to Christ and taking that step of baptism. Understand the step of baptism is vital to our testimony. So let me just talk straight with you now. There are some in here today that maybe you you have confessed Christ as Lord You are a Christian. You've been forgiven of your sins, but you have not yet taken that step of baptism. You have not yet taken that step to publicly declare Jesus Christ as your Lord so that others could hear and see your testimony through baptism. And so I would just ask a question right now. Who else might come to know the Lord if they saw your testimony in baptism? What family member of yours might come to know the Lord if they saw your testimony in baptism?
What co-workers of yours might come to know the Lord if they saw your testimony in baptism? What friend, what neighbor, what person in this community might come to know the Lord if they saw you take that step to publicly declare your faith in Christ through baptism? Baptism is vital to our testimony, and I believe that there are many here still in Stockdale that have not yet given their lives to Christ that might if they saw you take that step to publicly declare Christ as Lord through baptism. So let me ask it again. Who else might come to know the Lord if they saw your testimony in baptism? And then let me ask another question. Are they worth it? Is their eternity worth it? So as we go, we must proclaim the gospel And we must preach repentance, and as we go, we must practice baptism. And I want you to know, here at First Baptist Church Stockdale, when it comes to this call to go, we're not going to view it as trash. We are going to view it as a great treasure to be faithful with, so that we can be a faithful people in all things, at all times, until it's all over. Now, before you can go and share that Jesus is Lord first, you must submit to Jesus as your Lord. And if you've never done that, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, this is going to be an opportunity for you to respond. You've heard the gospel this morning. And if you're here today and you would say, I've never responded to the gospel, but man, I have been pierced to the heart. I recognize my need for a savior today. I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to take that step to declare Jesus as Lord and then to commit to that next step of baptism. If that's you, if you need to make Jesus your Lord today, then I would encourage you to respond. I'm going to be standing right down front. You can step out of your seat. You can join me down here. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, you know what? I've already given my life to Christ, but I haven't taken that next step of baptism and I need to. I need to make that commitment to publicly declare my faith in Christ through baptism, to invite my friends, to invite my family, to to allow others to see my testimony in baptism. If that's you, if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that step of baptism, I would invite you to respond as well. Let's make that commitment together today. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ. I've already taken that step of baptism by immersion. And I've been visiting First Baptist Church, Stockdale. I know that God's calling me to make this my church home, to come and unite my my life and my family's life with this church body so that we can be on mission together, so that we we can take care of what God has entrusted into our care together. If that's you, then I would invite you to respond as well. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, I would encourage you to respond obediently. Stand with me right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.